Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Minnesota to speak with Colton Molesky of Locked On Wolves about the Minnesota perspective from the Jimmy Butler trade. We'll go to Ben Dubose of Locked On Rockets to speak about the Mallow situation and Houston's underwhelming start to the season. And lastly, we'll go to Philadelphia to speak with Keith Pompey of Locked On Sixers about the Philadelphia side of the Jimmy Butler, Robert Covington, and Dario Saric trade. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, as well as the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. Go find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Of course, the big news over the weekend was the Jimmy Butler trade. We're going to break all of that down for you today, as well as the struggles going on in Houston. So let's get to it. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Timberwolves podcast. That is Colton Molesky. Colton, the uh, the drama of the uh, of the beginning of the season since September is now uh, over. Jimmy Butler has finally been traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, how do you feel, I guess, about the return uh, with the deal? Obviously, this uh, Tom Thibodeau and management were never going for any sort of future assets. They're going for things to help them still compete. Now, do you think that this is a, a reasonable uh, a reasonable outcome? Are you pleased with the result? I, I'm mostly fine with the trade. Uh, some mixed, a mixed bag of emotions there, just as far as kind of previewing trades that the Timberwolves could explore. Uh, last week, I talked about trading with the 76ers and thought Robert, Co- Robert Covington would be a great fit. Really would have loved if they could have somehow pulled Marco Fultz away from them just to get a, a younger guy, somebody who would have helped the future. I think Robert Covington is a move who helps the Timberwolves now, and then somebody who helps the future of the Timberwolves and Marco Fultz I think would have been awesome to get. You knew because this coaching staff feels like it's a win-now moment because uh, it seems like a lot of these guys kind of are coaching for their jobs or coaching for that next job. You think of Tibbs and how he probably isn't going to be on this or around this organization next year. So maybe he's coaching this team up, trying to trying to give other organizations an example of what he can do for a team still as far as coaching. And so you knew they weren't going to trade for a bunch of draft picks like the, the Houston Rockets package. You knew they weren't going to trade for a bunch of first round picks. They were going to trade for assets that could help them win now. And so it, it felt like if you could get Markel Fultz, that would have been the perfect marriage of guys who could help you win now and somebody who would help your future. But that said, I think that it's still a good trade because the way their offense is playing right now, I think that Dario Sarge, uh, Robert Covington, both of those guys can have a, a pretty solid impact, especially Robert Covington, who's hitting 39% of his threes. That's a career high right now. And I know we're only 13 games in, but career high for three-point percentage for him. I think he slides into this offense really nicely and gives them some some outside shooting that they were finding, but they weren't necessarily knocking down Josh Okogie. Uh, some of these guys are having trouble 
knocking down some open looks with this offense gives them. I think Robert Covington can knock down those looks. Yeah, it is an interesting scenario. This team was struggling, of course. They'd lost the, the five consecutive games on uh, on the the recent road trip. The last game uh, they won, I believe, uh, Colton was that fifty point Derrick Rose game against the uh, against the Utah Jazz, and haven't won a game mm-hmm. since since then. And, and lots of uh, you know, things that appeared like the um, the issues with Butler in the locker room were really coming to a head. Many things you know, occurring, the Warriors towel waving incident, yeah, you know, other things that appeared like this was just never going to. Never going to last too much longer, and the trade has been executed. Now, of course, we've mentioned the two guys coming across. Probably need to mention that Jared Bayless is also part of that deal, not that he necessarily will play a part on this Wolves team. It's Robert Covington and Dario Saric, the two main uh, main parts. We assume that, that Covington will just step into Jimmy Butler's start uh, spot in the starting lineup, but I guess the fit of Saric is an interesting one. We know that Tom Thibodeau is married to his former players, Taj Gibson has been starting at Powerford, and prior to the last couple of games, he'd been playing you know, really reduced minutes in almost uh, even timeshare with Anthony Tolliver, you know, 25, 26 minutes. Uh, the last couple of games, he's pushed back over 30. Do you think that Sharic is going to be able to step in as that stretch four option next to Carl Anthony Towns in a similar way that they were using Tolliver, or will they just put him straight into Tolliver's bench role and keep Taj in that starting unit? How do you see these two you know, playing out? Because I can see the town Sharich starting front court as having uh, uh, some defensive uh, concerns, I guess. Yeah, I think that there's a little bit of... The, the best case scenario right, would be that they play this off of matchups, and they play this off of, well, if they're going against a team that likes to go a little big, maybe you play... Uh, maybe you play Taj a little more, or if you're going against a team that likes to play a lot more small ball, you really need to attack that perimeter game, really need to knock down a lot of shots. Then you play Sarge. It would be really nice to see some flexibility from this team. You saw at the end of that West Coast road trip that the Timberwolves were kind of reverting a little bit back to themselves from last year, playing their starters a ton of minutes and not really giving their bench a ton of time to add a different flavor to the game, add a little bit of a different look to the opposing defense. So the worst case scenario is that they make this trade, they bring in a couple new guys, and then they kind of refer back to last year's system where they play their starters 40 minutes a game and or 35, 38 minutes a game, and then you have only one guy off the bench in double-digit minutes every, every game. That would be the worst case scenario. You saw that a little bit in their losses. I think if they're playing smart basketball and they're really utilizing matchups i think sarge it'll just depend on what kind of team they're playing and i think there is a role for for where he can play some pretty meaningful minutes that said he has been shooting pretty poorly from three-point range only 30 percent it really depends on i think first impressions are big with this tibbs coaching staff and so if he comes out and he just looks really flat in the first couple of games that he gets the opportunity, I think that's going to impact how he plays or how much time he gets in this Timberwolves lineup the, the rest of the, the year towards the All-Star break. The next thing that's interesting, obviously Jimmy Butler's gone, but you know, after the, the, his final game for the Timberwolves, we heard about, or prior to the game actually, we heard about this arrangement that he had with Glenn Taylor, and I guess Tom Thibodeau was you know, in on that as well, where he'd play 32 minutes a night, and then uh, Thibodeau was playing him 41 minutes a night, and Butler was you know, obviously you know, aggrieved at that and, and said so to reporters after the game. That sort of issue, that's that's Butler talking, but do you think that the way that Thibodeau yeah, overworks these players is causing a, an issue with the remaining guys on this team as well? Because Butler has been known to be somewhat of a spokesperson at times, yeah, outspoken about things, and 
for as much issue as he has caused with especially Carl Anthony Towns, he does yeah, like to think that he goes into bat for his teammates. So is that is that an ongoing issue, do you think, that now that even though Butler's gone, that these other players are still going to be having this concern and it's still going to be, I guess, tensions in that locker room and tensions with the coaching staff? Absolutely. I, I, I think that is something that you see for the Timberwolves, that is one half of the problems in the locker room are, are settled, I think, with Jimmy Butler out. But I think you still have some some locker room strife because Tibbs is there. And I, I don't think there's ever a scenario where this team was fixed because Jimmy Butler is gone and because that rift is kind of healed a little bit because I think Tibbs still has or comes with a plenty of problems of his own. And so now moving forward, if he's not changing, if you're not seeing – them stay creative i mean they opened up the season after the spurs game they opened up with a really different style of play that you hadn't seen from the timberwolves led by tibbs they're playing their bench a lot they're getting different lineups in there now you add a couple of forwards that can really stretch the floor and they're coming from a system uh, tons of people uh, if you hadn't re- read the story i believe it was from sports illustrated where they initiated in the 76ers practices this four-point line that they had players shoot from and to extend the floor even more for when they're playing actual basketball games. Now you're bringing guys who are used to spacing the floor that much into this system. There's a way where this could be really fun, really creative, and you can really space the floor nicely for towns, but you have to you have to be creative with your laps. There's a, there's a bunch of different things you could throw out there, but – it, it's all dependent on Tibbs now and all dependent on is he willing to be different than last year and is he willing to expand the playbook a little bit more? Is he willing to expand the rotation a little more? And if you're going off of what happened at the end of that West Coast trip, no. The answer is no, and there's going to continue to be problems, especially around the minute load that you have on guys like Towns, guys like Wiggins. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Two new pieces, how this uh, Thibodeau dynamic works out. And, of course, Colton will have all that information for you over on Locked on Wolves. So make sure you're checking that out. Colton, thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me today. Of course. You know, it feels kind of like you and I both have, uh, with all the segments I've done on here, we've both been through the ringer a little bit, getting through the Jimmy Butler drama. But you know what? It's over. We're, We're done. We're, it, we're in a safe place now a little bit. Until the next thing crops up, Colton, I'm not, we'll see how often uh, we have you back on Locked on NBA, but that was a uh, long, drawn-out saga, but there's still going to be more ramifications to come, so check it out on Locked on Wolves. The Locked On Podcast Network is doing unprecedented things on both Twitter and on Instagram. Go follow us. The handle's the same, Locked On NBA Net. On Twitter, you get a feed of all of the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. So get your breaking news, injury reports, rotation decisions, all that stuff from all the hosts covering all 30 NBA teams. It's amazing. During the games, any sort of thing that's happening, you can go and check out that feed for the latest information. And on Instagram, Locked On NBA Net giving you the biggest stories by using the Instagram stories just one minute through that stories function. And then you get the longer cuts on the biggest stories in our regular feed. So just follow Locked On NBA Net on both Twitter and on Instagram. Now let's bring in the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast. It is Ben Dubose. Some weird things happening in Houston this season. It's far from the best start to the year. 
for the Rockets. Plenty of reasons why that could possibly uh, be the case. But uh, the latest thing that that has happened, Ben, something we'll start with here, is the Carmelo Anthony situation. We saw reporting from Woj and Shams over the weekend that uh, you know, Melo was out, and I think uh, it was Shams that uh, tweeted it, uh, had an illness in uh, in quotation marks, and then the reports coming out that they were going to be having a meeting to discuss his future, and then today, just a, an hour or so ago, Mark Stein saying that he fully expects to be waived. What is the, the latest on this Carmelo Anthony situation with the Houston Rockets? So, just before 4 o'clock Houston time, game starts at 6, we got the report from Mark Stein that Carmelo had been informed that he would be released. Those of us here in Houston at Toyota Center got noticed that Daryl Morey would be meeting with us at about four. And we all assumed that this would be you know, where we got the news, that the reports, in fact, were true. That is not what took place. Morey actually denied the reports. Now, he didn't outright say that Carmelo would still be a part of the team. He said, we're evaluating everything. And, of course, that's to be expected with the Rockets off to a shocking and very disappointing four and seven start. But effectively, he said that Carmelo's been a, a good soldier, done everything they've asked. He, they, he thinks that Carmelo is being unfairly singled out. And at this point, everything is under evaluation. He was asked specifically if the Stein report that Melo was informed that he was released, whether that was accurate. And Maury said that it is not. My hunch being on the ground here, Josh, I tend to think that the reason the Rockets are uncertain is that to some degree, it's Carmelo's decision. I think it's something where it's not that he's without value. He's had some positive games this year. You go back and look to two of their four wins against Brooklyn and Chicago. He was very good in those games, and there's certain matchups where he can still be a quality scorer. Unfortunately, he's in certain other matchups, as we saw against the Thunder the other night. There's just too much length at 34 years old. He's a bit of a liability. And so I think what the Rockets want moving forward, especially with rookie Gary Clark playing well, they want the flexibility to sit mellow and not play him if they think that isn't advantageous. I think they're running it by Melo because it's so early in the year, basically because he's a veteran, because he's a Hall of Famer, because he's on a minimum contract. My sense is that the Rockets are basically giving Melo the option. Do you want to be here and rack up the occasional DNP CDs and just be used whenever Mike D'Antoni thinks it's right? Or do you want to go somewhere else in search of more consistent playing time? And so my hunch is that with the Rockets, it's not so much that it's just their decision. It's giving Carmelo, the Rockets are a player-friendly organization, the option to do what he wants with his future. And to some degree, I think I may still be waiting a uh, final word on that. It is, it is a, obviously a confusing scenario with both of these, you know, Stein and Maury statements coming out, you know, really close to each other, contradicting each other. Again, I do agree with you, Ben, that it does does appear that, that Mallow you know, will not be on this Rockets team by the end of the season. Just, I guess it depends on when when that's going to be the case. But outside of the Mallow you know, situation, and he hasn't fit very well, there's been considerable issues. But as you mentioned, there's been a couple of you know, decent performances from Mallow. The Rockets sit at four and seven. What else is going wrong with this Houston team? To see this team who had the best record in the NBA last season, you know, struggling and sitting outside the playoffs at the moment and with a record considerably low, below 500 with one of their stars in Chris Paul really, really struggling, uh, especially with his uh, with his shooting, which is way off his career numbers. Like, what's, what's the issue here? The amazing thing, uh, Josh, it's the offense. Going into the year, you know, the built-in narrative, you lost Trevor Reza and Luke Bamute, you brought in Carmelo Anthony, and you would have thought the issues would be defensive, and they didn't start the year playing that well defensively, but they're actually up to 17th in the league in rating, which is considerably higher than they were a week ago, 
and it's actually higher by one slot than they were at this time last year. They've held four consecutive opponents under 100 points. So the defense has actually gotten a lot better, even with Melo playing in three of those four games. The issue right now, just offensively, they're dreadful. They're 27th in rating. I think they're 29th in scoring, 30th in field goal percentage. And by and large, it's the stars that just can't shoot. Chris Paul, we've seen his arm wrapped a little bit, perhaps his shooting elbow, but he shot 36% or below for four consecutive games now. James Harden at Saturday night in San Antonio was 7 of 27, just 1 of 13 from 3. Eric Gordon shooting just 23% from 3 this year. Just quite simply, the Rockets is a shocking decline from an offense a year ago that was historically dominant. But right now, they're big guns. They just, they're just they missing layups. Harden this year, additionally, he struggled from 3 last night. He was, I think he's below 50%, 30 of 62 on shots at the rim this year. So by and large, their star players just need to execute a lot better. Right now, James Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, your primary playmakers, this, they're nowhere near the form they were at a year ago. And as a result, the Rockets, you know, we thought they, at the bare minimum, would have the identity of a strong offensive team. Right now, they're the complete opposite of that. Do you think there's any any credence to the statements that, that Harden, you know, and that the finishing of the room has been poor? Like, oh, you watch him get to him, you go, oh, that, that's it, and then it doesn't go in. And you go, this seems weird. Like, what, what is off? Is there any credence to the to the reports that Harden, after after the successful season, perhaps came into to camp uh, a little bit out of shape and is still trying to work off that uh, that excess weight that he may be carrying? I haven't really seen that. They raved about him in September, the form he was in when they went to the Bahamas. I think if anything you worry about with Harden, it's suffering that grade one plus hamstring strain. Does he have the explosion going to the basket to actually finish? That's what it seems like to me. Now, he still should make some of these shots that he's missing, but he's not getting quite as high up. He's not getting quite the level of separation that I that we've seen from him when he's really sharp. So I wonder if the hamstring thing, I think the bigger question for the Rockets is what's going on with Chris Paul. He's had a couple of brilliant games uh, in LA against the Lakers and Brooklyn against the Nets. But other than that, he's largely been very disappointing question is is it just you know the shooting arm we've seen at various times you know his hands wrapped also his elbow is it some sort of injury or is it what you fear with a player who's 33 years old and in year 14 are there some signs of an age-related decline I think it's too early to go there but that's to me is the the storyline to monitor I think with Harden it's largely health related I trust him to turn it around it's the Chris Paul situation that I'm trying to get a better gauge on and that's kind of the closest thing I'm watching over the next few games Chris Paul's shooting is it's staggeringly bad at the moment Last season, we'll just use last season to this season comparison. On two-pointers last season, 53%, and he'd been a plus 50% two-point shooter pretty much all of his career. This year, he's at 44%, so we're talking nine percentage point drop. His threes have gone from 38% down to 29%, a nine percentage point drop. And for reference, his previous four seasons, 38, 41, 37, 40. So always in that high 30s, low 40s range. His free throw percentage has gone from 92%, 89 the year before that, 90 the year before that, 90 the year before that, down to 77.8%. So every single part of his shooting is just way off from deep, from two-point range, from the line. And you have to think that while, yes, he is a year older, age-related declines come for players and the shot doesn't go in. We're seeing that with Carmelo Anthony over the last couple of seasons. But... Mm. This staggering level of a decline from Paul, to me, indicates that there is something more going on, that it is perhaps that elbow that we see him get iced in locker rooms after the games that is causing this problem. And there is you know, room for uh, a significant improvement here with Chris Paul with this efficiency, because at the moment, he's got a true shooting of under 50%, which for him is just mind-bogglingly, staggeringly low. So there has to be, I feel, something else going on there. Yeah, and there's a couple of tells with Chris. 
for starters, he's been short on a lot of shots. When you look at his free throws, open shots, he's shot he's short a lot, which makes me wonder about the health of of that arm. It's just like the the feel isn't all the way there. The other thing that was really telling, so before Saturday night's game, he was 0 for 13 from three in his final his prior three games, which is, as you mentioned, staggeringly low. He's a very good three-point shooter over the course of his career, this year below 30%. Saturday night in San Antonio, he started the game two of two. And he only took one more shot the remainder of the game from three, even after making his first two, which to me, what that says is a guy who, even after seeing it go in, he's just not really confident. He's not really trusting that shot right now. I don't know if it's the injury. I think I agree with you that that's the most likely cause. But regardless, he's just not really, you know, even when he sees a couple go in, he's just not really in sync right now and mentally you can see the frustration on his face during timeouts. He's just out of sorts right now. And I tend to agree that based on these signs, it's probably more short-term injury or mechanical related than it is some sort of uh, aging thing. Because you typically, you rarely see if it's aging, it go that quickly because this is just drastic. As you said, this team, there's so much intrigue uh, about them. We were all wondering how the off season moves were going to play out. It's played out in possibly the worst way that, that possibly could. The mellow situation still to be determined. Ben, you're going to have all that info for us over on Locked on Rockets. So make sure you guys are checking out Locked on Rockets. Ben, thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Josh. If your company is looking for a new way to reach customers, you could be mentioned right now. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with the sponsors that they hear on their favorite podcasts. Our demographic is 98% male, higher educated, higher earning than your traditional media audiences. So have your company sponsor this podcast by emailing me at redrockfantasybasketball at gmail.com. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Sixers podcast, that is Keith Pompey. Keith, uh, a trade going down over the over the last 24 hours involving the Philadelphia 76ers. They acquire Jimmy Butler and Justin Patton, of course, sending out Dario Saric, Robert Covington, Jared Bayless, and a 2022 second round draft choice. This uh, trade, you know, Sixers, uh, I guess, have been mentioned on the periphery of the Jimmy Butler deal for for a while, but the, the trade going down. How do you think, I guess, firstly, uh, firstly, let's talk about how is Philadelphia and Philadelphia fans taking it to this deal? The... Uh, the overall feeling, I guess, with with Sharage and Covington being key parts of the process and being you know, loved by fans, although there's been you know, some obviously up and downs with those guys. How do how do people reacting to this trade in general? I think that, I think what you said, you know, with it being a lot of up and down, I think that you know some people, you know, excuse me, the fact that it was up and down with those two players, and the fact that you have Jimmy Butler, who is an all star and an A-list type of player to pair with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, the overwhelming majority in Philadelphia is excited over this. I mean, it's like a holiday right now. I mean, everyone is just praising this trade because they feel like the Sixers really didn't have to give up much to get to get these two guys. I mean, excuse me, Jimmy Butler, sorry. Okay, so that's that's interesting in that in that regard. Now, what I think this this trade does is obviously we'll talk about the Jimmy Butler fit in a second, but it does impact the Sixers' depth, and they've been struggling in that regard anyway with their bench unit. We're taking two starters away, we're adding one starter in Butler. So, which player Keith is going, or who's going to have to step up into this uh, into this you know, hole that's filled by the departure of, of both Sharich and Covington? Which player is most likely to step into that uh, that role that is now created? 
You know, it, it's funny, um, and, and I do agree with you. I'm just telling you what I said before is what the people feel. But I think right now, you know, you know, Mike Muscala is going to have to step up. I also think that Wilson Chandler is going to have to step up. But if you ask me, like, one particular player, like the most, like you said, I think it's going to have to be Mike Muscala. I mean, um, and but I also think that the 76ers may have to make a trade in order to uh, or, or sign someone in free agency or a buyout in, in order to um, – you know, just make this thing work because they don't they do not have the front court depth right now with the loss of Dario Sarge. Is Jonah Bolden ready to step into a larger role? You know, I, I think he's going to get minutes. But the thing about it is, and I know Brett Brown likes him, but unless you're like a Ben Simmons, um, um, you know, Brett really doesn't like to give these guys a lot of action. You know what I mean? Because of, you know, you look at Jonah you know, he can shoot the ball, but defensively, you know, he's still learning a little bit. But he'll get minutes, but I think that he's not going to get the bulk of them. Before we get into the actual Jimmy Butler part of this trade, Markel Fultz, do you think that, you know, with this change to the, the, the structure of this roster, do you think that they are going to be able to keep Fultz in the starting lineup? Because that's going to be a hell of a lot of guys who aren't, you know, aren't good shooters really at all, you know, because we're going to have Simmons, we're going to have Embiid, who's an okay shooter. You're going to have Butler, who's not a great shooter as well. Then you're going to have Fultz in that mix as well. Is he going to be able to stick into that starting lineup? Or will, do you think that Brett Brown will go back to a JJ Redick and maybe, or maybe even Landry Shamet into that role as well? Just to get some shooting around these big three players. Now it's two things. If they go with if if they go with uh, Mike Muscala, he ha- I believe he's going to come out of the starting lineup. Talking about Markel, but if they if they come out with a crazy lineup and you see Ben Simmons doing a lot of playing the four, I think Markel will stay. I think Markel will be the primary ball handler. Uh, ben would be the secondary guy. He'll be like the point forward, and that will enable you to get J.J. Redick on the floor, you know. Um, but other than that, I think you're right. Markel will lose because they're not going to have any shooters, you know, on there, and, and they need J.J. Redick. Yeah, they, they're going to need even more from Redick now. And, and Shamit started the last game, but it's hard to get a full judge of that because, of course, you know, Butler hadn't arrived and, and Sharich and Covington weren't ready to play. But I thought what was telling, Keith, is the fact that that game went to overtime and Shamit played 41 minutes and Redick played 35 minutes and Fultz was still stuck at 24 minutes. So that yeah makes me think that perhaps his role, despite losing two starters, uh, might actually just shrink down because of the way that these guys fit. Now, talking about Butler, a guy that is you know, fairly ball-dominant, Sharich and Covington, were far from that. They were very much you know, spot-up type guys who were, you know, especially Covington, playing that sort of defense. Butler's a great defender as well. But how does he fit in in the hierarchy with Simmons, with Embiid? Um, are there going to be concerns with perhaps Embiid not willing to defer as much to Butler with, you know, I guess personality clashes between these guys? You know, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I, I think that in regards to the hierarchy, I think that this still is Ben. I mean, excuse me. This still is Joel Embiid's team. I think that uh, Butler is going to be number two. Um, I think that if Butler, as long as Butler can make down, knock down shots and score, that's going to help keep Joel Embiid fresh. You know what I mean? He's logging a lot of minutes. So I think that you know, if the Sixers can tell him that 
you know, hey, yeah, you may not get as many touches. You, your scoring average may go down a little bit, but it's going to make you more effective and more healthier towards the latter stage of the season. I think it will work out well. Now, if Jimmy Butler isn't as good as advertised, which I think he is going to be as good as advertised, that's when you're going to have a problem. There is, you know, obviously lots of lots of issues with his potential fit on this team, just given given the players, uh, the players here. In terms of locker room stuff, we've heard all these you know, issues with Jimmy Butler. How does the Sixers is the Sixers locker room you know, really close knit now? How does the loss of Sharich and Covington perhaps affect that? Will there be any resentment towards Butler coming in, especially if he comes in and starts running his mouth straight away? You know, it, 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 that's, uh, that's another great question. It, it could be, but I, I don't think so right now because, you know, the team, if you look at it, the team is eight and six. They knew that going in that they that the team needed to get a superstar, right? They also know that, you know, Joe, Joel Embiid is a strong-willed person. You know, Jimmy Butler can say what he wants, um, but at the same time, these guys do work hard and, and, and they're all like trying to win games. And let's face it, a lot of these guys are on the final year of their deal. So they really don't have any say on anything. They're, they're, they're just trying to get in the fit in, so to speak. So it's, it's, it's different than being in Minnesota when these guys were like the megastars. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it is it is going to be it's obviously going to be a weird fit, but it changes a lot of the stuff in the Eastern Conference to see how this all works out with this Sixers team. Um, Keith, when when are we expecting Butler to make his debut for the Sixers? Yeah, he's expected to play on Wednesday. You know, the the trade is going to be you know finalized on on Monday tomorrow, and then next thing you know, I'm assuming he's going to fly down. Uh, to join the team on Tuesday in Orlando, and uh, he, he will play, um, you know, the expectation is he will play on Wednesday against the or, excuse me, Orlando Magic. All right, so that's going to be obviously must see type of uh, type of game for the uh, for the Sixers and for the NBA in general. Keith will have all that covered over on Locked On Sixers. Keith, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA. Hey man, thanks for having me, buddy. And that'll do it, guys, for another edition of Locked On NBA. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On NBA Net. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go leave us a five-star rating and a review. It's a great way of supporting the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.